Hi everyone. I have a technology leader with me and I've been wanting to speak to her for a while. She's been breaking the glass ceiling as we call it as by and she's one of the top women entrepreneur technology leader of, of our country. Welcome Dr. Jaya Vaidyanathan. While she has asked me not to uh, say doctor but let me set this conversation up by welcoming Dr. Jaya Vaidyanathan. Jaya Jaya Vaidyanathan runs DCT Digital and and she's she has gracefully agreed to speak to us for about 20 minutes in in this conversation and then let you know and we would like to set up this conversation by requesting her to introduce herself to begin with and what does DCT Digital do and then maybe follow up questions can come So hi Rohit I'm uh, as you introduced gracefully introduced I'm Jaya and i'm the ceo of bct digital uh, we are uh, a fairly large player in the risk and reg tech space uh, with a lot of focus on innovation and what we can bring new to this particular realm of risk and reg tech um you know you did introduce me and i thought it's just uh, pertinent to give a little bit about, about my background I worked at the cross section of financial services and technology in different roles um from Accenture to Standard Chartered Bank to investment banking and uh, just decided to do something entrepreneurial uh with the introduction of products with the focus of what we can do for India in India. No right I think I think and that's the need of the are more entrepreneurs solving india problems and 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 so thank you thank you for doing that uh, since since we we do not get many chances to speak to uh, technology leaders like yourself i wanted to set this question and context up in indian context what makes fintech so hot i mean you look at what's happening in the ecosystem the the monies the investment the the you know the expansion everything is happening into in in the fintech space so so what's making it so hot i think first a fact is scale uh, we've always been good at scale uh, we started doing it services and the boom happened and india was the destination of choice so um, the same logic applies in everything we are the de facto one of the largest payments requirements in the world Uh, the number of transaction india processes is much higher than anywhere in the world so when you operate at that type of a scale uh, the other problems are much uh, easier to solve um, so if you've done it in india looks like you could do it anywhere else because you know you've demonstrated the scale that's first second is the thought about frugal innovation i don't know if you've come across this term but it's more about how economical can innovation be right and that is something that we've aced at uh, with as limited resources as possible the amount or quantification of innovation has been enormous coming from india third is that we've demonstrated that we have the tech strengths and i think more and more it's about core strength uh, in deep tech when i say deep tech i mean a lot of the emerging technologies ai uh, be it uh, blockchain 
So you would always have emerging startups come from India that have demonstrated that and all the other domain players kind of leveraging the technology solutions out of this and then making something out of it. A talented workforce and the shift from services to product mindset. These are some of the reasons if you look at that makes us a fintech destination of choice. Um, right. And uh, just financial services has been the backbone of any economy and it's more a backbone of our economy more because we have a large population that's unbanked where traditional banking solutions can't reach them so what is the route to get to them is more through fintech so there have been a lot of legacy based reasons as to why fintech ecosystem in india is booming and just the fact that you can take some of these solutions and adapt them uh, globally makes it makes India the fintech destination of choice. Right. Uh, you you mentioned about, uh, in a sense, digital innovation, wherein what banks have not been able to achieve the new yeah. age. Come. I mean, just kind of implying what you said mm -hmm. and, and spoke very. I did state uh, it. <laughs> yeah, you did not state it, but but maybe I, I, I am just trying to kind of implying what what you meant. And then you then you also mentioned a lot about innovation. So of course, a lot of innovation has happened uh, in the in the space. But the point I'm or the question that I had for you was: Is Indian uh, you know population at large ready for innovation? And the point I'm trying to make is: Considering India changes every sixty kilometers, how tough is it for for leaders like you and and fintech organizations? To build it, build it like 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 a like a colony-wise business. I mean, it's it's every sixty kilometers you you will have different cultural aspects and 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 demographics to look at. How how then how do you how how do leaders like you tackle that? See, I think there are a few aspects to the question. I'll probably get to the core of the question, as in why you know does innovation really reach the common man? is one aspect of that question right and or i think if we even looking at those innovation i mean i mean for for anybody now anybody looks at innovation if it touches your life right right and yeah, yeah. i think in that sector we've made dramatic changes for fundamentally a few reasons india skipped a few generations so we don't have landlines anymore but we have mobile phones that pretty much most of the population owns right so I think it moved from mobile phones, which is at the uh, user. So that was a big disruptor. And that was something where you said you could package a bunch of solutions and deliver it to him on the mobile phone because he may not own his farmland, he may not own his phone, but you know he does have that one phone. Um, therefore, online lessons to looking at uh, you know the banking solutions rendered there to the payments so the last mile connectivity is the mobile and we skipped that generation of widespread land uh, lines to getting to mobile phone and that has been a big disruptor second is the education levels are raising and it's just not education level but it's also the ability to kind of adapt to new technology and that all started with the availability of you know internet to the common man as well as the mobile phone and two of those major disruptors have brought this to his back door or his, you know it's, it's reached the common man 
and uh, it's and the generation was born with a mobile phone so i think the education levels have made a significant difference uh, because of that so as long as it touches innovation touches the grassroots level you would feel the presence in your everyday life and that is when you know innovation really would we would have mastered that act of innovation because i mean we could kind of be creating the latest technology in a black room and it reaches um you know 20% of the population we've still not scratched the surface i think we have miles to go before we sleep but at least these trends have kind of like made sure that you deliver a small quota of what could happen as a teaser to the unbanked and the masses and that's when you can see that he's eager and greedy for much more no absolutely and 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 i think uh, internet penetration the way india is seeing that and and with low data whatever charges and especially the geofication of internet i think i think there there lies the reason of of mass adoption but ma'am uh, with with more number of users coming in and and more digital transactions like you said we are the number one now more more are we are are, are we at threat of of all these security labs because you've seen in last 6 months uh, we've seen an airline data a pizza joint uh, pizza giant data being compromised available on dark web how do how do how do organizations like you and and the organizations that you work with look at this aspect of 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 data security hmm? so i think in common man parlance if you don't if you don't ever get out of your home you're safe but is that something that you want to be is the question so if you didn't ever have to cross the road you don't have to worry about signals i mean you can keep expanding on it the fact that all of these new channels you introduce is something that's become inevitable because we use them in our daily lives and it's just ease of penetration every new channel that you add does introduce a measure of new security risk that have not been explored before um so once you actually see that as a security risk the entire technology community has been coming forward and looking at where are the vulnerabilities in the system where are those areas prone to uh, cyber security and almost every problem has a solution once you identify that this is indeed a problem and this is a lapse that has been there solutions have been coming forth um so i think first things first um you know you can't sit in a bubble and say that i don't want that because it introduces new security risks this issue is how do you tackle them right and do you have uniform laws and so i think this more about policy frameworks um you know there's a lot of movement towards um, data privacy worldwide and security uh, frameworks and all of them are the platform that's going to propel us forward and you know to every new channel every new aspect of what you open up there are going to be increased security risk and that is inevitable the issue is how do you address it how do you kind of have a common framework if i move from this country and the world is flat i mean we've been siloed due to the pandemic but that's you know that's not going to be a forever situation and so are these security laws fairly uniform so if i move from this place to this the next one is that going to be dramatically changing so i think those are the ones that we need to focus on as a larger community 
and uh, that is something that uh, we all deliberate on day in and day out so ma'am uh, does uh, adding a lot of knowledge to consumers saying like like rbi does this do not share your whatever password pins mm-hmm. etc is part of something that that leaders like you look at when you when you launch new yeah. products you see any product that you buy even you buy a mop these days comes with an instruction how do you use that right so every channel that you come with the user education is a very very key part of all of that and um like we focus on how do you use this app there there is also counterbalance checklist that says how you're not supposed to use it so the do's and don'ts that go and education is a very very key part of what we would be looking at and um, that is something that if you focus on the one thing uh, that you know must be uh, at scale would be the user education end of things more from a security risk perspective but then that's part of the education but we need to also take our own responsibility to say what do we do at the back end even if people make errors can you prevent them right so i think it's a fine balance between the two now now moving on to to something very uh, i don't not many leaders want to talk talk to us about now cryptocurrency is is what fintech right i mean it's a mm-hmm. it's a extension of of and and i we believe uh, when as and when india allows cryptocurrency to to i mean make it make it, when they make it legal uh, i think i think the rise of fintech will be will be will be multifold now where do you stand at at crypt- cryptocurrency what what spectrum do you look at that i i do not yeah, want you to I make think again once you money itself is a notional value right i mean essentially i mean we don't deal with gold and silver coins anymore and money was just another uh, donation of kind of like saying this is a means in which you can exchange ideas and it's a setup so cryptocurrency is something that is again you know a newer nuance of what we were used to which is an evolution and i look at cryptocurrency as an evolution so will that be the mainstay perhaps not for now but you wouldn't kind of like people just like now you go to a payment stall and you actually um, you know you say you can pay by upi cash or credit cards cryptocurrency is going to be the de facto payment um so where do i stand on it it is going to be i mean in fact there's a joke um i i you know i live part of the year in chennai and one of those autos does carry saying we accept cryptocurrency um <laughs> so it was actually there so i don't think what is kind of like coming up in comical preludes now is going to be the way of life and it's more about when even when you say what is going to happen in india i think the more thought process is more towards how do you regulate the industry so it's not about whether cryptocurrency is here to stay or not it's more about how do you regulate that how do you make that a regulated industry what are some of the securities and laws who can trade how can you have like even like fraud prevention you know all that exists in the real world of your real currency needs to apply to a cryptocurrency in terms of trading right in terms of like i mean if you replace that as yet another coin it defeats the purpose and that was the genesis of cryptocurrency but i'm just giving a parlance in terms of trading norms and regulation around that particular industry is what's kind of 
uh, uh, you know, people are thinking about, regulators are thinking about, governments are thinking about, and it will become the mainstay as an alternative, uh, uh, you know, option for years to come. It's just a question of, you know, is everybody ready for it? And what, what do you need to get ready for it? And, and uh, yeah, so again, uh, <laughs> cryptocurrency uh, now, now, do you think Indian government, and, and I'm assuming you would know much, much more than us put together, is moving into that direction of, of not legalizing or or framing the policies around cryptocurrency? Because we we see a lot, lot, lot being spoken and, and, and talked about in newspapers, television channels. What's happening on ground, especially in Indian context, ma'am? See, again, like I said, there is a lot of deliberation that's happening on how do you regulate the industry around it? What is cryptocurrency being used for? Uh, and each currency, uh, each country's security threats are quite different. Um, so at a macro level, you need to look at what is the end goal? Who's using cryptocurrency in India and what is it being used for? Um, and it's also the large play about how do you get information, how do you use it for regulation, uh, and what is the setup around it. So I don't think any government is saying we, we're not going to go cryptocurrency ever. It's more saying we, we just have to get ready for it, just give us some time. And it's all around, um, you know, there's some things that you can state, some things that you can't, right? And that has a lot to do with even some stuff around geographical positioning, um, who's currently using cryptocurrency, what is the means of what is being used for, what is be it being used for purchasing for. So I think it's more the fulcrum of all of that, plus the fact that you need to have real regulation around it. Real regulation. It's no different from regular currency in some parlance, right? I mean, earlier you could do cash transactions of a lot of value without a PAN number. Now, if it's over fifty thousand, you have a PAN number. I mean, that's regulation. So, in an in in extent, it's more to do with who's buying it, what's it being used for, and what can be some of the regulation around that. That is very key. So maybe monitoring and and regular. Some of the Um, proponents of cryptocurrency would say, you know, the purpose of cryptocurrency by definition was actually to get away from regulation, right? So it's a fine balance um, because um, while that really makes sense because the value is uh, not assigned, it's more, uh, you know, it evolves. Um, So the concept itself is based on gets away from regular currency. There's no point in making it like a currency. But at the same time, there needs to be some frameworks or guidelines around it. So that's kind of where it needs to be a fine balance between the two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I am assuming that that you work with a lot of lot of new age startups, new age organizations who, who are working in uh, in fintech space, in emerging technologies. I just want you to kind of crystal gaze. And from your experience, tell tell us and the listeners about about the trends that you are seeing and and the trends that would become mainstream in maybe next 24, 36 months. See, one of the things is like if you took look at the financial services, I'll use banking as an example. Um, banks, are, we're trying to do it all right, innovate, do things. And uh, so I think it's more to do with how can you coexist with fintechs? 
was something that um, you know most banks learned over a period of time. FinTechs do their best at innovation. They're good at doing A of the puzzle. My core competency is CDE. Let me look for solutions in A and B to complete the spectrum, right? So that was something that was a learning. Once that happened, the biggest revolution from a banking perspective was open banking APIs. So I think that was, you know, the thing that was a game changer in terms of opening up. So like most people, I can tell you, emergence of RegTech is going to be a big play. FinTech's not just focusing on B2C, um, like payments, but also looking at how do you have FinTech's to address mid-office and back-office is going to be something that's a huge play. And you're going to see a lot of emerging unicorns in that space. Because payments, we've seen a few, you're going to see the next wave is going to be mid and back-office. Like, for instance, RiskTech. That's again a fintech red tech. It's a subset of the fintech play. But that's something that you would see. How do I kind of use that for substantiating my mid and back office? I'll give an example. Recently, one of the big banks was uh, doing great on revenues, did wonderful in terms of addition of new channels, but their fundamental banking system failed. And so it was, you know, not enough investment on the mid and the back office so that it could push you through the next uh, wave of digitization. So there's going to be a lot of play for fintechs to come into that mid and back office segment. Uh, if you ask the big tech trends that propel it, you're going to see a lot of use of AI use cases in your day-to-day -day life. You're going to see a lot of blockchain-based um, technology, especially for the use of things like uh, KYC, ML, um, you know, supply chain kind of an issue. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of use of AI. Um, you're also going to see a lot of use of big data and predictive analytics. Um, so what you mean as soft data that comes in the realm is going to be very key to decision making. So, uh, you know, be going much beyond the payment spectrum is something that I look as as the immediate emerging trend. So even for lending, for instance, lending solutions, insure tech. So you're going to have a lot of the new coined words and you're going to see a lot of revolution. And you're going to find as a consumer a lot of savings that come from fintechs in this play. That's what you can look forward to. You're going to get solutions that are core, are fresh, are new, innovative and much cheaper. Right. Yeah. My, la my last questions and I want you to you know, address it because you did not say it when you said new emerging names. Uh, what are these new banks that are emerging like like mushrooms now and, and they've, they've taken it by this storm? I mean, they're solving some smaller problems. I, I saw some some pe people, I mean, kids buying jeans, etc. So what, what, what is, is it really a hot sector now, the, the new banks and, and how how do they work? See, neo banks just means new banks, right? It could do a whole bunch of things and everybody is doing different things. There's a bank in Korea that does not have even one branch office. And it does, it's, it's one of the largest banks in Korea, which doesn't have one physical bank. All of the you know banking transactions are completely digitized. You can pretty much get everything uh, going. And that to me is a fresh bank. That to me is a completely conceptually new bank, right? I call that new bank. Now, 
coming back to what you're referencing as can i do all my transactions with using a bank interface the answer is bank need to go much beyond the expectation is that i don't want to log on to four different applications to get all my daily needs done so can i order groceries to retail to things and can the bank provide either you can go outside to the retail store and interface the bank and do it or you can go to the bank interface and pretty much get the complete holistic digital experience of getting all your needs met on a platform so i think there are different flavors of what you what every bank does and it's going to be different there's going to be a bank that says i'm the perfect bank for your all your retail needs there is going to be another bank that says you know we provide you interface with kind of like different hospitals and the requirements you go through us you know there is something that's going to be there so there is going to be an avatar if you call it of what the bank takes on assuming and each one could be called the bank of this future or the bank of that future but to me a bank that can exist with no brick and mortar is the new bank of the future and i quote that korean bank as an example so niche banking like you said is the the future per se yes and and maybe a super app kind of a model for banking solutions mm-hmm. for for users yeah is that have i got it right yeah and and you can get a complete experience you know you have to look at the profile of the audience changing i mean you go from generation to generation i think the customer experience was all about going to a bank and talking to a person and you know he understanding your needs and then coming up with solutions for that and that moved on from the tech savvy uh you know generation that says you know what i want everything done on my mobile phone and i don't want to go out either to buy a pair of jeans or to go to a bank you know that's the last thing you want to do it's like going to a doctor's office that's the last thing you want to do so i think the complete transaction though it's more about the psyche of the common user who's buying the buyer segment and therefore banks need to evolve it's as simple as that so on that note thank you so much bank needs to evolve is is, is a great headline that i might use thank you so much for talking to us today and i look forward to interact with you more often than this thank you thank you pleasure thank talking you. to you